Christy Knuckles uh, is someone that has meant so much to my generation uh, and in um, the passion uh, worship series that's gone on for now two decades, I feel like, at least. Um, she's meant a lot to me uh, and my wife and our family and the songs that she's written and, and uh, the songs that she sings. Um, my favorite album that she did was called Life Light Up. Um, and she has a song that's not one of the real, quote, popular songs on the album that um, there are some, some of the most compelling lyrics, I think, that are on that album. And I'd like to read those to you. Uh, the day you heard my plea, you looked right through me. You saw the pit I was in. You came and pulled me out. You set my feet upon a rock and put a new song in my mouth. Then you called me your own, and I'm never turning back. I love those words because I will never likely write a song that's going to change somebody's life. There's not an instrument that I can play. I don't know a harmony from a melody. I don't know notes or octaves or beats. I don't get it. I don't know a quarter note from a fret. And the only pitch I know is a fastball. And when I'm flat, I'm looking for a tire iron and a jack. Um, but still, I appreciate everything that Christy was sharing in this video. And still, I sing. And that's misery for some of you. I noticed when we started this morning, these couple rows right here were really empty, and the front row until the Long Acres came in was empty. And I'm convinced that um, for those that sit in front of, beside, next to, around, or generally everyone in a 10-chair radius of wherever I am... Um, you know why it's misery. Uh, still, I will sing, though. Um, as I prepared this sermon, there was a lady that came to my mind. I actually went out and tried to Facebook friend her. She has not responded yet. Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, her name is Trish. And when I was in the youth group uh, growing up, we had uh, sort of a youth music ministry. And um, see, the thing about Trish is this. Uh, we had this sort of, I think, probably love-hate relationship going on. When I wasn't behaving, I was singing, which was really bad. And if I wasn't singing, I was misbehaving. So Trish couldn't win because I was a constant distraction either with my behavior or with my singing. There's no way she could keep me in line. Um, I'm thankful for Trish. She suffered well uh, under me, and I know that I was a thorn in her flesh. Uh, and I think she would be happy to know that um, still I sing. Um, the new series we are in, as it's been stated a couple times, is Together We Sing. Uh, we're going to explore the many facets of corporate worship and corporate singing that we do together. Uh, I think Jason titled the series in such a way that would allow me to lead it off. He did not title it Together We Sing Well. Um, together We Sing. I do not sing well, according to the, the human ear. I'm certain that the Father probably rolls his eyes a little bit when I do try to sing louder and louder, and the sounds, I don't know what they really sound like, but I know uh, it's music to my ears, and, and maybe it's music to his ears too. Um, we're going to spend some time getting some of the songs that we sing together uh, under the spotlight just a little bit. Um, songs that I have grown uh, to love deeply are songs that are uh, entrenched uh, in the words of Christ. Um, and really, if we're honest, a lot of these songs can be sermons unto themselves. Uh, I can remember times in my life where I would hear these songs, and they would carry me through struggle. They would carry me through 
or carry me to surrender. Uh, they would show me God's moving in my life. And uh, as I reflected on this, I thought about different artists and different songs and different CDs. And, and I know I said CDs, and we don't really know what those are anymore, probably. But um, digital music, I guess. Different collections that I had that um, were all songs that we sang together. They were all songs that impacted me when I was singing them with other Christ followers. They weren't songs that just impacted me when I went and closed the door and got in my closet and listened to music. I really, I really didn't do that that much. It was always with folks, with Christ followers. Uh, it's impossible for me to really think of like what my quote favorite song is. I don't know what the greatest song is to me. Um, so when I knew this series was coming, I just went with what the Lord put on the top of my mind. Uh, and a song that was very top of mind for me is How Deep the, Fa- the Father's Love for Us. Uh, it's a song about the depth of love that a father has for a wayward creation. The first stanza, um, it speaks of the links that the father goes to make a wretch his treasure. And that word strikes a chord with me, the word wretch, because we also see that word in the granddaddy of all hymns, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I I started thinking, this is a really old word. What's up with this word wretch? It's, I had to look it up because I'm like, I, I have a thought of what I thought wretch meant, but Wretch means a deplorably unfortunate or unhappy person. A person of despicable or base character. And see, so when I, I see these, this word in this stanza and, and I think about um, this song, this word is kind of a timeless word. We see it in other timeless hymns, but I don't know if you know it, this song was written in 1995. How great the Father's love for us. I didn't know that. I started looking into this going, man, that's a... A really old hymn, right? It's not. Uh, Actually, Nate pointed that out to me, I think. Um, Both writers point to this word that shows us where we start apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, wretch. Think about that. With Christ, treasure. Apart from Christ, death. With Christ, life. Another line that grips me in the song is, it was my sin that held him there. Because I think when we know the depth and the wretchedness of our sin in contrast with his beauty and his purity and his holiness, we know suddenly there, it was my sin that held him there. It was your sin that held him there. See, I see some patterns in this song, too. I I like the poetry in music. It's kind of fun to just look at the words apart from the music just to see what was the writer thinking, and I saw a pattern. Uh, Each stanza ends with triumph, glory, promise, and a knowledge that we are paid for and kept by Him. The first stanza ends with, as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. The second stanza ends with, His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. In the last line of the song, But I know this with all my heart, His wounds have paid my ransom. 
I love the stark contrast that we see in these songs. And finally, one of the most compelling questions I think that we could ever hear, at least for me, it's found in this song. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. We're left speechless by this question, I believe, because none of us on our own, our IQ, our good works, our intellect, our good looks, they can never answer the question in a way that would compel the Father to accept us apart from the work of Christ. And and if I'm honest, there are times I have trouble even singing this song. I've heard it sung before, and it just grips me, and I can't even sing the words. And and where we're going in this series is, is this place. And that is, when I can't sing those words, I hear you all singing these words. And you sing these words to me. You sing these words to the depth of my soul, and I hear you singing these words. And that's important. We're going to go into that. But before we go into some scripture that, that will really pull back, uh, peel back what it means to sing together, I, I just want to kind of throw out there some elephants in the room, some, thing that I, some things that I think that our singing is not, okay? Uh, and the first one, our singing is not church part one, okay? Meaning our singing is directly connected to the whole experience that we have together on a Sunday morning. It's not a workup or a warm-up. It's not to get us ready for the teaching. It's actually a conduit for the teaching. It ushers in the teaching. They are meant to go together. It's not a preview. It's not an appetizer. Nate said it this morning. It is the main course. It is the main course. We can't forget that. Um, And lastly, our music is not here for us to be entertained. It's not about, gee, they sounded really good this morning. Good job, band. Golf clap. They sounded good. We approve of the way you sound this morning. Great job, sound. We approve. We're not here to be entertained. Though we like it to sound good, and though we will practice, and though we will do our best to sound good, it's not for entertainment's sake. We are the lead singers. We are part of the band. There are three axes of our singing. There's the vertical axis where we're singing to God. There's the inner axis where we're singing to ourselves. And there's the horizontal axis. And that's where we're going to spend some time today. And that's the singing that we do to each other and the singing that we hear from each other. Um, We're going to look at a passage in Colossians. um, And we're going to start looking at a simple passage. And it's uh, the ending of a text that is one of the most instructive passages on the Christian life. And it's in Colossians 3.16, short verse, reading from the ESV. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's no surprise that Paul is giving us these instructions. Paul sang even in the worst of conditions. It's possible, it's even likely, that he was a songwriter himself. 
Many of his writings contain fragments of early hymns. And there is no doubt that when we look at his letters and we look at the life of Paul that uh, he loved to sing the praises of God. Paul teaches us to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us and to teach and admonish and to sing. So in light of this passage, what do we sing? It's a logical question. What do we sing? Nate has to ask this question every week. What are we going to sing? Paul makes it kind of easy. Do we get to decide? Is it cultural? Is it any song that sounds good? Is it any song that has a good message? The answer to all those questions is no, not according to Scripture. We're We're told very specifically it's psalms, which are expressions of adoration and lament. And by the way, when they say psalms, they're actually talking about the book of Psalms. And I don't know if you know it or not, but the, the book of Psalms, it was actually, they're not just words that were meant to be read static on a page. These were all words that were actually meant to be sung. So we sing them. We don't just read them. Um, we're also told to sing hymns of praise. These are the hymns that Miss Sue was talking about. These are the timeless words, the words that seem to last forever, that the church before us and before us and the generation before them sung We can rally around the church of the past and the present and the future with these words that bind us together. And then there are spiritual songs. There are songs that arise from the life of being a Christian. There are spiritual songs that will always point to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul is not talking about little s spiritual songs. Those songs are aplenty. And those songs do not usher in the word of Christ. They don't bring us to teaching and admonishment the way that the big S spiritual songs do. So we know what to sing. What happens when we sing? And as I began to think about this this week and looking to Scripture, thinking about a word that has been, um, it's been in our house a lot lately, and it's the word equipping. Uh, Shay continues to bring it up. What, what are we being equipped by? Who are we being equipped by? What are we being equipped for? Music and song, it equips us. Equipping happens when we sing and when we are sung too. It's true for many of us that we are equipped for our lives by what we sing and by what we let others sing to us. Are there any more equipping words than those words found in the Psalms? Are there more equipping words than these words from the timeless hymns that we sing? Are there more equipping words than the words that Nate sung from these modern worship songs? It's no doubt that lyrics put to music are moving. They are energizing. They're unifying. And we see this Because we see how moving and energizing they are in all of the shallow songs that we sing. We can't start a football game without the national anthem. We sing, take me out to the ball game in the seventh inning stretch. We will rock you. The eye of the tiger. We are the champions. And of course... As a Gen Xer, jump around, right? 
jump around. These songs evoke emotion, unity, commitment, and even choreography. We jump around. Uh, It's true that music will equip you. Music will equip you. I spent many years, I tell you, I've spent many years allowing music to equip me for things other than the work of God. I allowed other voices to take space in my life instead of allowing psalms and hymns of praise and spiritual songs to be a conduit for the Word of God to dwell richly in my life. See, other songs sang to my soul. And every week, we have the opportunity to listen to hundreds of people sing in this room right to our soul. And it's good. And see, this isn't me saying, this isn't about the list. This isn't me saying, go home, ditch all your music, clean out your music collection, throw away the CDs, or unsubscribe to all your music services. I'm just saying there are words that we can never unhear. I want you to think about that. What are the words that you can never unhear? Are they timeless words? Are they eternal words? Or are they temporary words? What voices by way of song are you listening to? It's a fair question to ask when Paul is so specific. Are they words that let the word of Christ dwell richly in you? And and then I understand there's those that love music and listen to music, but I also understand there's a whole other group that, you know, I don't really like music. I don't really like to sing. Okay? Maybe it's easy to simply remain silent when everyone is singing. I'll just, I'll just sit. All those songs are for them. Maybe you can't relate to the connection of congregational music. Maybe you can relate to a video clip that I want you to see. And before we play that, I want to say that I am the parent of two nine-year-olds um, and a six-year-old. And... Um, uh, Kids, I I want all you all to watch this video clip because this is a kid's video. Um, And uh, this is from the great movie that I watched recently, uh, Trolls. And um, maybe you don't like singing. You can relate to Branch. Stars shining bright above you. Really? Seriously? More singing? Yes, seriously. Singing helps me relax. Maybe you ought to try it. I don't sing, and I don't relax. This is the way I am, and I like it. I also like a little silence. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again.
of silence. May I? It's the way it is sometimes. I understand there are those that don't feel the connection. I get it. Um, I understand I'm just not feeling the song. But we have to get this straight. We have to face this music, so to speak. Together We Sing isn't about me. It's not Together Me Sing. And also, if there's no you in we, it becomes together they sing. And that's not what the series is about either. It's about together we sing. Singing is not self-serving. You may not be feeling it. The song may not have all the feels. But chances are someone else in the room is feeling it. And as long as we look at spiritual singing as for me, by me, my song to sing, or their song, we'll miss the richness of the teaching and the admonition and the wisdom that's found when we surrender our lips to His songs. I wonder if for no other reason than that spiritual songs are not about us, that we struggle with corporate singing at times in the church. In a world that offers countless songs about us, or songs that make us feel better, or songs that just simply sound good, it's no wonder that singing songs can be such a struggle. If we carry these wrong views of singing out to their end, we end up like Branch. We end up taking Ben's guitar and Dave's bass and Nate's guitar and we chuck them in the fire. That's where we end up. And we really end up at the end of the song or somewhere in the song that, uh, is it Poppy? Is that her name? That Poppy was singing, The Sound of Silence. And in the naked light I saw 10,000 people, maybe more, people talking without speaking people hearing without listening, people writing songs that voices never share. And no one dared disturb the sound of silence. That's where we end up. We won't sing his songs. They won't come off our lips because I just don't feel it. Songs are meant to be sung. They're a conduit for the Word of God, meaning they're a pipeline. Music, when sung together, it carries the message of the Gospel to the deepest and most vulnerable places in our soul. It's for us and it's for each other. Songs are a conveyor for truth. They usher in the very Word of God into the places inside us that can't be reached by preaching or teaching or merely reading God's Word. So what are we doing when we sing together? Why does this matter? 
It's so simple. We're speaking to each other. The grammar of this verse, it's actually been debated, this this 316 verse. We see that it does allow, though, the conclusion that singing can be viewed as a form of admonition and teaching. We are admonishing one another when we sing together. It's actually our opportunity to preach and teach each other. There's warning and there's caution in some of these songs. And frankly, I need to hear you all singing those to me. And so do you. It's preaching God's word set to music. It's what it is. Congregational songs are sung as a a response to what we've learned and experienced from the word of God. And we get to respond together. Uh, A man I love, his name is Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, He has a quote here that I'm going to read. And he says this in this deep, thick Scottish accent. I'm not going to try to do that. He says, if I'm a taught Christian, I'm a singing Christian. The praise of the people of God is like the oil which the engine of the preaching of God runs smoothly from the soul of the preacher to the soul of the congregation. Do you see why our music is connected to the preaching and the teaching of the word? They're connected. One helps the other. What happens to an engine with no oil? Doesn't work. Such as a preacher with no music. No song. There's no conduit. And lastly, I want to look at the question of what does our singing say to others? What does it say to the outsiders? And to do this, we're going to go to Acts 16, 22 through 34. And here we read, A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown in prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. This is the vertical we talked about. And what was happening on the horizontal? And the other prisoners were listening. This is huge. We don't know anything about the, prison, the other prisoners, really. We don't know their names. We don't know what they did or did not do to get there. What do we know about the story? They were shackled in one of the most horrific places one could go to. They were likely rats and cockroaches. And I'm pretty sure if there was food, it probably wasn't very good. Certainly not at midnight. But we know also that these other prisoners, they heard the name of Jesus that night. We know that much. And if Paul and Silas were alive today, I'm convinced in the city of Asheville they would be buskers. They would be the ones out on the street singing the hymns at all hours of the day or night. But here, they weren't getting paid for it. They were bloody, and they were hungry, and they were dirty, and they were chained, 
and they were humiliated, and yet their songs had all the feels that night. Their songs were heard. Later in the story, Luke tells us that the jailer was actually converted that night. He was practically begging them when he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul and Silas, after they've been flogged, they're in a jail praying and singing for joy. What is up with that? If I'm honest, I can't relate to that. I dare ask the question, what would you do? What would you be like? Because I don't know that I've got a good answer myself. Anybody been put in a dungeon? Man, these are heavy questions to ask. As a Christ follower, I believe that the worse it gets, the louder, the better, the more unified our songs should become. And Paul and Silas are a perfect example for this. Our songs grow in impact as we sing them together in the worst of life. It's really interesting, the scene, to me. I think there's a whole sermon in that scene. There's a whole talk on that alone. The gospel, it puts a song in our soul. And as the least musical person in the room this morning, I have been given the most powerful instrument ever made to express praise and adoration and admonishment and teaching and worship and that is a voice and we we've got to come around the idea that this is not a performance voice this is a voice of authenticity it's a hands-up voice sometimes other times it's a it's a hands-down voice and a and a head bowed voice. It's a clapping voice. It's a jump around voice sometimes. Sometimes I need to see more of that. It's also a sit still on my knees, be before the Lord voice. It doesn't matter. You can sit or stand. So I ask you at your workplace, there are prisoners and they're listening. Think about that. There are prisoners in your workplace, and they're listening to your songs. What songs are you singing? And I know, easy does it, John, you know, you don't know where I work. I I know. I'm not saying that you turn your radio up really loud to the most obnoxious song that we've ever sung. I'm just asking you, what do you sing at work? What about in your car? with your kids. What are we listening to? You know, the prisoners, they're begging to be saved. They want to be saved. They need to hear his songs on our lips. They need it. Someone else's voice will teach your children. Well, I want to let them choose. We have to teach them. What are the songs that they hear us sing? What's on our lips? We're singing together because of the good news. Let's not forget that. And what is the good news? He was born of a virgin. That he would be born under the law 
to keep the very law that you and I break every day after day after day after day. He met all the requirements of God's law. And he's ready to hand over his righteousness to us so that we could have perfect standing before God. Why would we not sing about the Lord Jesus Christ? Why do we sing together? Because he went to a cross. And he was hoisted up to die. He was not hoisted up to be marveled at. He was not hoisted up so that those would say, wow, look how great he is. He was spat upon, and they beat him, and they mocked him. And there, upon that cross, the sins of everyone who would believe would be transferred to him. And he who knew no sin, God made to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, there was a great swap that happened at the cross. It was the lowest, worst in me laid on him. And it was the perfection of him laid on me. It was a great swap. Why do we sing about the blood? We sing about the blood around here. We do it. It shows up in our songs. Nate writes songs about the blood. We're going to sing one of those today. It's one of my favorite that he's ever written. Because there's no other way for us to have a relationship with an infinitely holy God except through the blood of the cross. He literally brought us together by his blood. Do we understand that? Together he brought us together. By his blood. So now, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It was through that death that he brought us out of the slave market of sin. That's where we were. And then he reclaimed us. It's, he re, we say the word redeemed. I like the word he reclaimed. He reclaimed us from the oppressive grip of Satan. He was taken down from that cross and he said, it is finished. And he did not say, I am finished. I just asked the question, is this worth showing up to church on time for to sing? Is it worth it, what he did? I know that's kind of like... Don't talk to me about being on time and you don't know what it's like at home. And I get it. I'm not talking about the things that happen that make us late. I'm talking about are we coming with the intent to worship together and be together? He was buried on the third day by the power of the Holy Spirit. He ascended back to heaven. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And whoever calls on his name will be saved. Is that worth singing about? I, I think it is. What happens when you call in his name? What does it mean to call on his name? It means to stop calling on your own name first. It means to stop looking at your good works 
It's what Nate asked us to stop and think about when he said, is it Christ's performance or mine? It's to not look in the face of your wife, your children, your family, your friends, your church. It's to look directly, exclusively in the face of Jesus. See, he loves to save. He actually seeks to save those who are lost. He came not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. And he is a really, really good doctor. Band, you can, you can come up now. Are you sick by sin? Would you call upon him? We'll never stop asking the question, I beg you to consider this today. Isaiah, he says, come now, come now. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Why would we ever stop singing about this? He says, he says, the Lord says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Peter says, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we would be saved. And Paul says, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. And that's Christ Jesus. And this is where it gets real, real, real personal. These are some of the hardest words for me to to say, but when we embrace the gospel, we can't talk about it without mentioning what it looks like to refuse the gospel. And this is a real thing. If you refuse the gospel, your blood is on your own hands. And it's just the way it is. And when we do that, if we do that, I will not have my own blood on my hands. His blood is on my hands. But if we choose that route, there will be torment. And there will be no relief. And it will be forever. This is the greatest offer that's ever been made to mankind. It's the greatest thing ever. The gospel, it commands belief and it commands response. So in a few minutes, we're going to have the opportunity to go to the corners of the room and respond. One way we respond is by taking communion. We take these simple elements to remember the great exchange that happened on the cross. We do this only if we believe. If you're not a believer this morning and you want to settle this, I'll be standing over here during the song. I would love to talk with you. Also, if you're one of those that say, you know, I just don't feel the music. I don't know what it's like to sing these songs. I don't like singing. I'd love to talk to you too. Maybe you came here this morning and all your song is is a song of lament and things are just horrible and all you can do is lament to the Lord, there will be folks over here standing that would love to receive you and pray 
and hear you and be with you. Lord, help us answer these questions. Redirect our worship, Lord. We need to be reminded of these things all of the time. God, thank you for the cross and the freedom that it offers, Lord. Help us to embrace that all the time. Lord, let the word of Christ dwell richly in us, Lord. Help us to obey so that we can let it dwell richly in us, Lord. Thank you for salvation. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.